0: Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Pegg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics, and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. And happy to share the next hour with you, exploring a really important topic. We're talking about cyber safety today. Now, Snapchat and Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, we've all heard of them, and maybe you use them yourself. And for most young people, these social media platforms are a part of their daily lives. Uh, but every time we connect to the internet at home, at school, at work, or on our mobile devices, we're exposed to cyber threats, and those threats can be particularly dangerous to our children. Now, while recent studies suggest that social media may have a negative impact on young people's social interactions on their brain development and mental health, there are also some positive benefits of social media. Now, understanding the data on the positive and negative impact of social media and having a plan for healthy technology use enables parents, educators, and young people to engage in safe and responsible Internet usage. My guest today is Clayton Cranford, and he's known as the Cyber Safety Cop. And Clay will explain what cyber threats are and how to keep ourselves and our children safe. Now, you can join the conversation today by calling 303-477-5600. And if you have a question for Clay Cranford about cyber safety, give us a call. Again, that number is 303-477-5600. But first, Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian. And if your school or workplace is in need of advanced safety education training or life-saving products, technology, and solutions, go to SSIGuardian.com. And whenever you're away from your radio, you can stream Living Well with Dr. Peg online at drpegradio.com. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives, to connect with our sponsor, to purchase a copy of one of my books, or to register for one of my upcoming workshops and events. And if you're feeling stuck and ready for change, Register for my Do Something Different for a Change Personal Transformation Retreat that's coming to Denver on Saturday, December 30th, 2017. So kick off the new year with this life-changing event and take advantage of early bird pricing now through the end of October. Space is limited, so go to drpegradiocom slash retreat to register today. And if you love to walk, run, or eat pie, join the Living Well with Dr. Peg team at the Pumpkin Pie 5K and 10K race in Denver on Saturday, November 18th. And it's a family friendly race for runners and walkers. And there's also a free quarter mile kids' fun run. So bring out the whole family. All finishers will get a huge piece of delicious pumpkin pie, a race t shirt finishers medals and fun at the Finish Line Expo. And the cost to register for the 5K before November 1st is only $25. So again to join me and my team, go to drpegradio.com pumpkin and click on the big pumpkin pie logo and that'll enable you to register for the race. And be sure to join the Living Well with Dr. Pegg team. Just click the join a team button and select living well with Dr. Peg in the drop down menu. Well, today we're talking about cyber safety and uh, my guest is Clay Cranford and he's a law enforcement professional who lives in Southern California and he's one of the nation's leading law enforcement educators on social media and child safety. Clayton Cranford is also the author of Parenting in a Digital World, which is in its second edition, and he's the creator of Cyber Safety Cop, an internet and social media safety program that teaches parents and students how to avoid the inherent risks of social media and other web-based platforms by using safe habits. There's all kinds of cyber threats out there from online sexual exploitation, harassment, threats and bullying, and that can lead to self-harm and even suicide. And so this is just such a critical topic for our kids. Uh, is it, do we have Clay on the line? Okay. Uh, well, we, we actually already have a caller that I'm, I'm going to uh, bring on the line while we're waiting for Clay Clayton, the cyber safety cop. I've got um, Darieth Chisholm on the line with me. And um, we're going to have her um, uh, help us to understand some of the unfortunate consequences of um, the cyber threats that are out there. Uh, Dariath Chisholm is an Emmy Award winning television personality and former NBC News anchor. And so, Darius, thanks so much for calling in.
2: I'm happy to be here. Thank you.
1: Well, Darius, you found yourself at the center of your own cyber nightmare. Can you tell us uh, more about that?
2: Now, unfortunately, I have recently been what I call a survivor of revenge porn, a title that is often used uh, in the media, cyber harassment, cyber bullying. It all falls under the same uh, title. But in my case, I had a vengeful ex-boyfriend put up photos and videos of me that were taken while I was asleep and living with him. I was naked and, and completely unaware of it. And after I ended the relationship, Over a year and a half ago, um, I later discovered that uh, after he threatened to kill me, that he started sending me those photos and, as an attempt to get me to return to the relationship, and I refused to do that. Mm. And uh, after a while, he then put up a website with those photos and videos, and I cannot tell you how unbelievably embarrassed, ashamed, angry, hurt. I was at that because he knew that in attempting to do that, he would, as he told me, silence and destroy me. And in fact, Hmm. that was what he was looking to do was to silence my my celebrity and my credibility.
1: Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that, Darius And I appreciate you calling in. I'm going to have you hold on the line um, and join in the conversation that we're having with Clayton uh, Cranford, excuse me, the cyber safety cop, because uh, we're promoting this to parents primarily to to help protect our vulnerable youth. But as your story shows us, we're really all vulnerable to these cyber attacks. So thanks for holding on, and we'll pull you into the conversation with Clay. Uh, hi, Clay. Hi. Thanks for being with us today.
3: Hey, hey, Dr. Pei. Can you hear me? Okay. We can hear
1: you now. Thank you so much.
3: All right. Fantastic. Thanks for having me back. Well,
1: Clay, you're an expert in this topic. I don't know if you just heard what happened to um, Darius Chisholm, and as an adult, was a victim of a cyber attack, um, and we know this doesn't just happen to youth, happens to adults as well, doesn't it?
3: It does indeed, yeah. I, I caught the, uh, the, the, the tail end of it, and uh, California um, a couple of years ago passed a law specifically to protect people from uh, this kind of thing. Uh, it, unfortunately, our laws are kind of always playing uh, catch up to technology. and frankly i don't I don't think they're really in step and even that law um, once once it was um, codified, uh, still, probably didn't go far enough to protect people and and sadly when you share something with somebody an image uh video uh that you hope would only you know between the two of you there's there's frankly no way for you to control that once they have that thing and uh, unfortunately people uh, do these kinds of things to um to discredit to injure others and uh even though you know at at the end of the day when those things are you know potentially cleaned up by by law enforcement the, the victims still have to live with the trauma and the and the uh and the embarrassment.
1: Absolutely, and Darius, I'm sure you can appreciate Clay's comments. That's exactly what's happened to you, isn't it?
2: Well, certainly, and in my case, they weren't videos or photos that I gave to him. He took them while I was Mm. asleep, and he held them for over a year, and then chose to release those in a form of retaliation because I wouldn't return to the relationship. So I didn't even know that he had them and or had taken them, and so it was the additional what I feel assault of having someone that you were in a relationship with um, expose you this way, um, and in in a form of um, extortion, because essentially that's what that was, and you know it wasn't anything that I'd given him, and obviously I begged that he would remove them. I was actually shocked to see them, uh, but you can see on the photos that I was asleep. So this was you know, not only taken without my knowledge, but then certainly released without my consent. And unfortunately, we're seeing that. We're seeing that more often than not. And, of course, there's the cases that Clay talks about where people have exchanged that content. And, you know, we what I am painfully aware of is the lack of legislation and law to protect victims and properly punish the perpetrators.
1: And Darius brings up a great point of um, the violation when the photos and images are taken without your awareness and certainly distributed without consent um, and that that's adding insult to injury. Um, Clay, you share in your book Parenting in a Digital World the story of a seventh grade girl named Jessica. Uh, talk about what happened to her and um, what parents can do if they find their child in uh Jessica's predicament or even God forbid Darius's predicament.
3: Yes. Uh, I believe the one you're referring to is uh she was on the iPad. You know, you what what often the stories that I often hear from parents is uh they, they give their child a, a device like an iPad or a computer and um with, without any parental restrictions on it, so they have the ability to go anywhere they want on the internet, they can download any app that they want and uh they quickly figure out, you know, how to download social media. They create social media accounts, and then they start talking to strangers. And uh, probably the number one factor uh, in in all of this is uh, parent awareness. Um, parents often don't think about, you know, putting in those kinds of restrictions because they're not interested in going to those websites, and they don't really keen the fact that their children are. Um, and uh, for, for children, talking to a stranger online just seems really... Uh, a risk-free kind of experience. Uh, they know better than to do that in person. But when it's online, it just doesn't quite feel the same to them. And uh, in the case of Jessica, you know, uh, it, it took no time at all uh, as she's identifying as a young girl in these anonymous chat rooms and so forth. Uh, she's quickly becomes you know a victim of of sexual exploitation, and you know these men uh, there are trying to manipulate her into sharing inappropriate images of herself. And sometimes children can be manipulated in doing that. And, and, uh, and at least in this case, uh, thankfully, the parents were able to discover that uh, before anything you know further could happen.
1: And you say in your book, Clay, there are three false assumptions that parents have about their child's safety online. Uh, one, it's not that big a deal. Two, if my child were having a problem online, they would tell me. And three, this technology thing is just too much for me. I can never understand it. Uh, the purpose of your book really is to empower parents through knowledge. Uh, talk about those false assumptions that really get parents into trouble in terms of helping protect their children.
3: Yeah, I've talked to uh, I've talked to thousands of parents over the years, and uh, these are the kind of the, the common uh, misconceptions that I think most parents are dealing with. And the first one is thinking that it's uh, really not that big a deal. Uh, they, they, they're just not privy to the kind of things that are happening uh, day in and day out. Your, their children are in a situation where they're open to literally billions of people online. They are talking to them. They're sharing in, uh, personal information. And, um, and and before you know it, uh, they are you know being compromised. They're being bullied, um, these kinds of issues. And uh, one of the things I do in my seminar with parents is, I show them some examples of what's really going on, and uh, and parents are pretty shocked, and it's pretty clear that you know they need to be engaging their children in that place. Uh, the, the other one, the second one, is that you know parents may have a great relationship with their children, and their children may be uh, coming to them and talking about things, but uh, this is one area, the area of social media and the internet, they're not likely to come to their parent and share the problems that they're having, mainly because they know that when they do that, their parent is likely to overreact and take away that device, take away their ability to connect with their friends all the time. And so they would rather suffer through whatever issues that they're having than lose the connectivity to all their friends. So uh, that's one huge problem. And then lastly, you know, parents think technology is, is too difficult for them. And uh, what I want to tell them is that that's really not the case. I try to give parents practical steps to deal with the technology. And uh, in my book, Parent Digital World, I walk them step by step through it. So within side of, you know, a half hour to an hour, they should be able to get into their kids' devices, turn on those parental controls and better understand what's going on. And really, there's just too much at stake. We can't, as parents, just kind of throw our hands up and say, we can't do this. Uh, we really need to roll up our sleeves and engage our children in this place because a unfiltered, unsupervised Internet is probably one of the most dangerous places for our children to be.
1: Sure, and we'll talk about what all those additional threats are and again if, if a, an adult woman, a professional woman such as Darieth Chisholm who we have on the line was a victim of this kind of cyber attack and extortion uh, how much more vulnerable are our children and so parents this is a, a just an encouragement for you to uh, listen closely to our interview today and um, tap into the resources that Clayton Cranford has available at cybersafetycop.com And his book, Parenting in a Digital World, we're all too vulnerable to really um, put our heads in the sand. Um, Darieth, are you able to stay with us uh, over the the break and come back and and share in our conversation? Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much. Um, My guest today is Clayton Cranford, the cyber safety cop and author of the book, Parenting in a Digital World. Uh, And I've got a a caller on the line, uh, Darieth Chisholm, uh, who found herself as the victim of um, cyber, uh, cyber um, harassment and exploitation uh, so this is such an important show call and text folks in your life to have them tune in we're at uh, KLZ 560 AM and online at drpegradio.com. Uh this is Living Love well Dr. Pegg when we come back we'll hear more from my guests about stay, saying safe, safe and cyber safety don't go away we'll be back
0: Are you prepared for a sudden cardiac arrest? Having an AED is simply not enough. School athletic coaches are required to have CPR and AED training, but they can only save a life with properly functioning and maintained equipment. Maintain compliance and reduce your liability with AED program management from SSI Guardian. Buy an AED and receive a two-year management program for free. Call us today at 877-878-5800 or visit us at SSIGuardian.com.
4: You can learn a lot about yourself, and God, from a dog. When her children asked for a dog, this mom got them gerbils. So imagine their surprise, and hers, when she adopted an abandoned dog that she met in Dallas, Texas, just one day after her divorce. In a way that only God could orchestrate, her spur-of-the-moment decision to take in a little dog she named Dallas was just the beginning of a seven-year journey that transformed her life and taught her to see herself and God in a whole new light. Read Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog, a delightful and heartwarming book by psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Part memoir, part Christian inspiration, Doggy Tales is a must-read for anyone who wants to learn to recognize God's voice, even in the most unlikely places. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll love Doggy Tales. Go to drpegradiocom books to purchase your copy today
0: Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at ssiguardian.com.
1: Hey. Oh. Hey. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining me. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark. And we've got uh, the cyber safety cop as our guest today, Clay Cranford. Uh, Clay, thanks so much for being with me today.
3: Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's great.
1: You're the author of a book called Parenting in a Digital World, and I recommend that all parents listening take advantage of the great advice that you have. How can our listeners get in contact with you and purchase your book?
3: Well, uh, they can go to my website, uh, cybersafetycop.com, and uh, there's a link to my book there. Uh, It's also available on Amazon.com.
1: Excellent. And I'll have some links... uh to Clay and his information, his book on my website, drpegradio.com. And if you want to share this interview with a friend or a family member, you can go to drpegradio.com after the show airs and we'll have the uh, recording up there for you. Uh, you can also join the conversation today by calling 303 477 5600 if you have a question for Clay Cranford about cyber safety. And we also have on the line uh, Darius Chisholm, who's a, an award winning television personality. former NBC News anchor, and Darius is sharing her story of uh, cyber attack, or lack of a better word, um, exploitation, cyber exploitation. Uh, Dari, thanks so much for calling in. We're actually going to have you back next week for the full hour to share share your story. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. And Darius, as a result of your experience, have started a foundation. Can you give the website for your organization so people can get a preview about who you are before our interview next week?
2: Yeah, it's fifty shades dot com and that's fifty with five O, not spelled out. Fifty Shades dot com and it is a multi media project, social justice project. We're in the process of shooting a documentary about the issues of cyberbullying, cyber sexual harassment, revenge porn, human trafficking. They all are an extension of the same thing. So the documentary will not only uh preview my story, but uh, the stories of other individuals who Unfortunately, have been victimized by this, but we also will take a very good look at legislation and laws in place mm-hmm.
1: and lack thereof, and internet. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, and I'm really looking forward to our full interview next week. And listeners, I, I hope that you'll tune in next week. Uh, we're getting a little preview today of not only Dareth's story, but her courage in um, coming out of the darkness and and not being silent. And so I so appreciate you, Darius. Thanks for joining our conversation today with. Clay Cranford, the cyber safety cop, Now, it's so important for parents to understand all the different social media platforms out there that their kids are using, because as you mentioned, Clay, kids have access now, or I should say the world has access to our kids. Strangers have access to our kids, people outside of the parent's sphere of influence. And um, when I was growing up, the only way anyone could call me was going through the kitchen phone that was mounted on the wall. (laughs) I didn't have a phone in the privacy of my own room in the middle of the night that my parents didn't know who was calling me. And so that's a huge um, vulnerability our kids have today, Clay, as well as people being able to communicate anonymously with our children without parents' knowledge. Can you say more about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the major uh, problems of social media. Um, you know, when, when we were kids, and uh, like you mentioned, when you when you came home and the door closed behind you, your, your parents were able to relax because... You know, all the negative things that could get at you were, were literally locked out. Uh, today, when our kids come home, um, same scenario, that door closes, and a lot of parents think that, you know, their their children are inside and they're, you know, they're safe. But now our kids are connecting to, you know, about 3.5 billion people online. And uh, when you start looking at, you know, uh, that those numbers, um, you, you start to realize that tens of millions of those people, our individuals have given the opportunity would sexually exploit our children, and I also talk to thousands of students um, uh, every year uh, in schools, and I've noticed that there's a clear disconnect between what students know is safe. So they would never, on the streets, on a street or outside their home or whatever, uh, have a conversation with an adult who is a stranger and share personal information with them. But online, that stranger is not a stranger anymore. Now he's a potential friend, a potential light, a potential follower, and they just feel like what they're doing online is different. It it feels different to them, but really the consequences are are really the same. So there's Mm -hmm. a bit of a disconnect uh, with our children. Uh, and, uh, again, if parents don't know what's going on and they don't realize the kind of connectivity that they can have with people uh, that may want to hurt them, um, then, then, then they're really, you know, kind of whistling past the graveyard. Thankfully, there are things that parents can do uh, to keep their kids safe.
1: Yeah, you talk about in your book uh, some action steps that parents can do. Um, one of the things you say is for us as parents to remember we're in charge. We own the child's phone. We're the ones who've provided it. Uh, but sometimes I feel we feel reluctant to check our kids' phones and put those controls in place. But uh, what can you share to empower parents to remind them that we're in charge and it's our responsibility to keep our kids safe from these uh, cyber threats?
3: Yeah, indeed. Um... That, that's uh, I usually get a, a pretty good laugh from my uh, parent groups when I teach this part because I, I remind them that they really own everything. Uh, I have two <laughs> boys. I have uh, a fourteen and sixteen year old, and I remind my sixteen year old that I own actually everything he has. He's just borrowing it until he moves out and buys his own stuff. So uh, he, for instance, he he wants you know uh, he wants to download Snapchat onto onto his phone, and that's a, and that's an app that uh, well I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about apps uh, more in detail later, but that's an app that allows you to send. A communication to another person and then it deletes after they read it and as a parent i want to be able to review the messages my 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 children are sending receiving from their device so i told them, no you're not you're not going to get that uh this is my phone um and uh, these, these are the requirements if you want to if you want to possess a phone uh i i encourage parents to uh boldly just take the phone from their child's hand in and, and mid-text, uh, and, and see what's going on. And the only appropriate response from a child should be just to calmly hand that phone over. I have parents tell me that their children uh, will clutch that phone and sit on it, or run out in the street. And if that's happening, then, then there's a there's a power mist there's a imbalance of power. Uh, that, that that phone that device uh, is yours. And um, I tell parents, you know, if your if your child complains, just just always tell them, I love you too much, uh, not mm. not to be involved and know what's going on.
1: That's a great, a great uh, strategy. And so a kid that has that extreme reaction, that's a red flag alone. And certainly they may just be flirting with a a crush and innocently, you know, saying, I like you, do you like me back? But when we look into what's on their phone, we want to make sure that they're safe and that they're not having inappropriate conversations. Uh, Another thing you encourage parents to do is to help uh, and guide their children manage their digital reputations. Talk about what that is and some of the challenges in making sure what's being portrayed about you online is accurate.
3: Yeah, well, you know, digital reputation is critical because one day uh, they're going to apply for a a university or for a job, and and those entities are now, by and large, Uh, checking people's online reputations and making some decisions about whether they want to, you know, accept them into their school or or hire them. So everything that they're doing online actually matters. And uh, that's that's problematic because uh, kids are children are posting things without really thinking about what the long-term consequences are they they struggle with impulse control and and all that so it, it, it's kind of a recipe for a potential disaster but here's the great news the great news is that they have total control of what gets published about them because they are the ones doing it and if parents uh, say you know tell them hey if you want social media let's look for opportunities to be positive let's let's post things about your, your school your clubs your sports the the things that you're doing in the community a lot of schools require uh, public service hours you know let's post that information and let's and let's delete or let's reduce um, the things that might be negatively impactful uh, online and uh, and then and then also you know uh, uh, encourage other students to do that you know uh, uh, give give another student uh, a like or a thumbs up or a positive post when you when you see them doing something good online, that kind of stuff uh, is contagious, and uh, it actually becomes really important later in their life.
1: And, and attacking your reputation, Darius, was uh, played a role in what happened to you, didn't it?
2: Well, it certainly did. I mean, part of what, part of the reason why I was so very concerned that I was fearful that this was going to get out and, and potentially destroy my reputation, and uh, that kept me for a very long time in in silence, which I know many people feel, even kids, because they're afraid, what are people going to think of me? What are they going to say? How will they see me? But for me, it was very much about me telling my own story and being in front of it and uh, sharing this, which is why you know, we started with this, this social justice campaign and documentary to help people understand that part of getting your power back, particularly when someone is behaving in a very manipulative way, way is to stand up and to speak out. And um, it, it gave me no better sense of freedom, but it also proved to be a very important point uh, in, in really being able to bring, get my own power back and to do something about this. And I know that, you know, for any other victims that are, are in this space, it, it feels very scary to do that. And it certainly feels you don't have to go through, you know, in my case, creating a documentary in order to do that it can just be reaching out to a friend and letting someone know so you're not doing this on your own
1: and clay you would recommend um, that parents keep open communication with their children not only to prevent this from happening but in the event they become a target or a victim their child has that experience talking with their parents about anything and they feel safe to let their parents know when they're in over their heads
3: yeah uh no, no matter what a parent does you you cannot make the world perfectly safe uh it's it's uh it's never gonna happen so what we need is we need kids who feel safe safe to come to mom and dad and, and ask for help and for guidance and uh i I tell parents you know they're 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 afraid of you taking it all away uh you know you they need to have a up for a conversation with their child and say look i'm I understand it's important to you. I'm not going to take it all away. I, I, what I need is you to come and tell me when you need help. I need you to be open and honest with me. If you make a mistake, that's fine. You're, you're a child. You're going to make mistakes, and uh, I'm going to help you through it. Uh, but if, if we can assure them that uh, that there's some safety in, in that, and in talking to mom and dad, um, that doesn't mean that you know mom and dad are going to necessarily ignore it or cover it up or whatever, but it, what it does mean is that um, help them deal with the issue at hand and then after that, come up with a plan to, you know, deal with, you know, the reason and, and, the, and, and, and why that happened in the first place. And, and then come up with an appropriate, you know, discipline if necessary. But a lot of times kids are just, you know, examining and experimenting and looking at what's going on. And they can fully unintentionally land in some, in some bad places online and they need to feel safe to come to mom and dad and ask for a way out
1: of it. Absolutely. Well, again, my guests are Clay Cranford, the cyber safety cop, and we have, calling in on the line, Darius Chisholm, who was the victim herself of revenge porn. Clay, the million-dollar question really is, what age should kids be given cell phones and permission to access social media? I, I have twins who are young adults now, and I didn't give them cell phones until they were in, I think, about 6th or 7th grade. And they only had a, one basic track phone that they shared. <laughs> and I didn't think they both needed a phone uh, because the expectation was they only needed it, it to call me, and they were always together. So I didn't want to give them a phone with all the bells and whistles. It was basically to call me to pick them up for a ride or if they were in trouble and needed my help, and it wasn't to socialize. So what are your recommendations for parents in terms of the right age for them to have these devices?
3: Uh, you're right. That is the million-dollar question, the one I always get. Um, and I think the, actually the way, Dr. Pegg, the way you addressed that was what I would recommend, which is ask yourself as a parent, you know, what situations would my child need a phone to actually contact me? If I have parents who pick their kid up from home, or take their kid to school, pick them up, bring them home, take them to the sport event, bring them back. And so there's really not a overwhelming, you know, reason for them to have a phone. And, and usually if, it, if they give them a phone, it's, it's mainly because everybody else in their school has one or something. And I don't think that's necessarily... The right answer. I I, I think the right answer is if you have a compelling reason to need a phone, uh, your child need a phone, then then do that. And then I think a great way to start is with a very low-tech phone that allows them to make a phone call but not necessarily giving them access to an app store or to the Internet. And then once your kid shows you that he can be or she can be responsible with that phone, like, you know, keep it charged, answer it when you call, not lose it. And then then perhaps when they're, you know, maybe eighth grade or something or when you think is an appropriate time. Uh, get get them get them that uh, iPhone or or uh, Android phone that they want. But I think there should be a process, and ultimately, parents know their their own children. And if you think your kid can handle it, and you have. Uh, you know, a compelling reason, then, then, then I think it's probably okay. I just see, I do see a lot of children at very young ages in elementary school with phones, and they usually get into trouble because, again, there's really no good reason to have it. There are no parental controls or restrictions on it. And um, I got a, unfortunately, I have a lot of stories about 10 and 11 year olds uh, involved in bullying and sexual exploitation because they got a phone a little too early, I think.
1: Thanks, Clay. It was just reported that the FBI rescued a three-month-old girl and her five-year-old sister from Denver in a nationwide sex trafficking operation called Operation Cross Country, and they focused on rescuing underage victims. And overall, they rescued 84 sexually exploited juveniles, and uh, and all 120 traffickers were arrested, thank God. Uh, But really, this is a very real issue. Uh, we, we're, we don't want to give predators access to our children at a, yet an age where they're too young to make good decisions about who they're speaking with, who they're interacting with. My guest today is Clay Cranford, the cyber safety cop, and uh, he's the author, author of Parenting in a Digital World. And we also have calling in Darieth Chisholm, who was herself the victim of revenge porn and a cyber attack. And so we see from children to adults, we're vulnerable. And we've got Clay Cranford here to give us some practical guidance on how to keep ourselves and our children safe. Again, this is Living Well with Dr. Pegg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we'll also talk about how to keep our information safe from identity theft and cyber hackers. Uh, Clay Cranford gives us some guidance and more when we return. Stay with us.
0: Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation, and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being
5: But after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into old behaviors and patterns. If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join psychologist, author, and transformation specialist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark for a one-day Do Something Different for a Change Personal Transformation Retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Dr. Pegg's Do Something Different for a Change Personal Transformation Retreat is coming to Denver on Saturday, December 30th. Go to drpegradio.com forward slash retreat to register today.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark, and this is Living Well with Dr. Peg. My guest today is cyber safety cop Clay Cranford, and we also have calling in Darius Chisholm. I'll go to drpegradio.com for a link to connect with Clay, and you can also Get in touch and learn more about what Darius Chisholm is doing at 50shadesofsilence.com. Darius is going to be my guest next week, and we'll we'll have the full hour to hear her story and hear more about the resources that she's uh, connecting uh, victims to. Uh, you can also learn more about my December 30th Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat by going to DrPegradio.com slash retreat. If you're ready to experience lasting change, I look forward to seeing you on December 30th. And listeners, if you have a question or comment about a specific app and how to stay safe online, call us now at 303-477-5600 to speak with my guest Clay Cranford, the cyber safety cop. And we've got Darius Chisholm as well on the line. Um, so Clay, sexual predators use social media as you said, to manipulate children into sexual acts or even to produce child pornography. Um, what, what can happen if we're not vigilant? And how do we recognize the signs that our child might be the victim or a target of human trafficking?
3: Well, uh, a huge red flag uh, for parents. So if you're, if, if you're a parent who uh, is noticing that their, your child's behavior has changed or maybe they're becoming a little more reclusive, they're spending a lot of time on their devices maybe doing a lot of instant messaging uh, maybe pulling away from other friendships but usually what happens is when these children become gro- when they're groomed by these these predators they're manipulated to, into believing that the person that they're talking to the predator is really someone that they that, that cares about them they become a very important person in their life to the point where other relationships in their lives really suffer so for a parent usually that might that might be the first thing that they notice so just Things have changed. They're spending a lot of time texting or instant messaging. They're not engaging with friends and family so much. So that whenever you see something like that happening, it could be it could be a, a sign of, of various things. But it's it's obvi- But regardless, it's a sign that a parent really kind of needs to take a look what's going on with their with their child and review maybe look at their social media a little bit closer. And uh, I, in fact, uh, I, I had a parent seminar the other night. I had a parent walk up to me afterwards. And she said, you know, that was me. I, I, uh, I noticed my child was, my daughter was um, spending six-plus hours a day on social media, on texting. And when she went there, she saw that she was having a, communi- uh, a back-and-forth communication with an individual on there. And it was all very, I love you, you're most, the most important person in my life, and this kind of thing. Um, and she questioned her daughter and her daughters uh, refused to believe that this person could be someone who wanted to hurt her um, and was actually rather adversarial about it these people who manipulate children are so good at it that they can actually in some ways make the children complicit in their own victimization because they believe that this person is good and they want to hide it from mom and dad and it just makes it even more difficult so it's really tragic It leaves these children just just broken inside uh, because they truly believe these persons, these people love them. Um, and then and then they become you know injured by that. and it's really tragic.
1: And again, we can't as parents be timid or afraid to insist on being more aware of what our children are doing online and what they're doing with their their devices uh, we we have a responsibility to them to keep them safe in your book you review uh, a lot of the research clay on some of the negative effects on a child's mental and emotional well-being that are linked to internet use and social media in particular so it's not just being vulnerable to predators but just by virtue of uh, using these media and these platforms kids can be harmed
3: yeah there's a lot of really uh interesting emerging, um, uh, studies coming out right now specifically about this. And there's one that's, uh, ju- just, uh, just, just, just published or will be published very soon that says that children who spend more than three or plus more hours on social media are 34% more likely to have a suicidal outcome than children who spend two hours or less. Wow. Uh, and then it even goes up. So more hours, uh, five plus hours, I think it jumps up another 10% above that in the 40 percentile. So. Um, uh, are, I, I think that the, the key here is balance, uh, just like anything in life, I suppose. But definitely in this case, setting priorities, setting some limits for your children on social media. I mean, and I'm talking about you know things beyond what they're doing for school. But um, after school works done on the computer, that additional time that they're putting in there, uh, I think it really should be limited. And um, th- there's just, there's just a lot of evidence to show that the more time they spend. The, the worse they feel about themselves. And uh, it has a lot to do with uh, the images that they're seeing. They, they just, they, you know, what they're seeing online they think is real, but often it's exaggerated or fabricated, and they can't quite live up uh, to those types of standards. And the likes that they're getting on these images that they're posting um, are really start to come connected to their self-esteem and their self-worth. And if they're not getting, you know, whatever they think they need to get on their 100-plus likes on an image that they post, you know, it really starts affecting them. And, uh, and again, you know, all children are looking for love and acceptance. If you're looking for that on social media, uh, sometimes it can be uh, a rather harsh place and uh, can be detrimental.
1: Yeah, again, children are just vulnerable uh, to attacks not only from adults and exploitation from adults, but even their peers uh, being cyberbullied. And um, you write about in your book, Parenting in a Digital World, this phenomenon called fear of missing out or FOMO. And so they're just vulnerable to so many factors and influences just by virtue of being online. Again, I also have on the phone uh, Darieth Chisholm, who was a victim herself as an adult, and as uh, vulnerable as our our kids are, uh, an adult who, Darieth, you have the resources and the wherewithal to try to protect yourself, and yet we're still victimized. Um, Talk about just how... Uh, tough that's been and uh, how how you've bounced back from that. Yeah, it
2: is a very tough place to bounce back from, and and children ever more so um, for many different reasons. One, because perhaps of their emotional instability, and maybe not making right choices in the moment that they discover that they are a victim. Certainly that spirals into additional behavior that is, uh, can also lead, obviously, to drug use and or consideration of suicide. I mean, these are all these are major, major issues that victims face, but I believe that, that people need to, to surround them with the amount of support that they need their parents, you know, law enforcement, someone in the school. I'm speaking more so in relation to to what Clay, if I could just piggyback on that. For myself, yeah, I mean, even as an adult, only, you know, as a professional adult who spent many years on television and and working as a speaker, but as a coach. And, And I found that I had to to use those skills that I've used in, in coaching situations with my own clients to support myself through this. Um, you know, it was really important once I found the ability to talk about this to connect with others who could help to guide me emotionally through this. I Quite frankly, I spent a lot of time in prayer and in journaling uh, and meditation as a means of just um, allowing myself to... to experience the emotional pain of it, and and particularly in my case because this was at the hands of someone that I did know, was in a relationship with and and loved at one point. And so there's that emotional layering to this, and then the assault, of course, having that happen. But I would say that for anyone who's in this place of feeling that they're in this, this victimhood, or in the state of victimhood, there were two things that came to me that I was able to begin to release myself from, and that was essentially just releasing the shame. There's a heaviness that comes with this, and it's this sense of being in shame and being embarrassed, and when we carry that with us, it becomes so very hard to function. And so it would be this this sense of helping people in as best a way possible release the shame. And the other... Piece, I think to this is I had to ask myself who now do I need to become to get through this uh, you know what what in, in my best way in my best most positive way how can I get through this so who do I need to become and those those two things along with this sense of this is not happening to me but it's happening for me gave me a mental shift to to feel more in my power and I talked a little bit more about that earlier it gave me this sense of saying that I can reclaim my own sense of dignity and voice, and from there is that's where the, the rebuilding uh, was, was possible.
1: And thank, thanks so much for calling in today, Darieth. We're going to have a full interview with you next week, and I look forward to the other uh, lessons that you can share with our listeners, uh, something psychologists call um, post-traumatic growth after such a horrendous experience, what's the beauty that can come out of it? So thank you so much for calling in today. We look forward to chatting with you next week on our interview.
2: Thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well.
1: So Clay, again, here's Darius, a professional woman with resources and um, coping skills as an adult, and our our kids can't really do this on their own. They need their parents. Uh, Talk about the cyber safety cop internet and mobile device contract that you write about in your book parenting in a digital world
3: yeah so that is a really important uh, tool that i want parents to use because one of the reasons why parents um aren't engaging their kids in social media is because they don't know how to have that conversation because uh, we didn't gr- uh, parents today did not grow up in a world with it so they, they just uh, as a bit of a loss so i want to give them the words and also the things that they need to talk about and the things they need to cover so the contract it's available, uh, I have it, uh, it's in my book and I explain how to use it there. It's also available, you can download it off my website. And what I want parents to do is to read through each line of uh, the, uh, the contract and then follow up each line of the contract with an open-ended uh, question. So like for instance, the first line of the contract is uh, number one, so I will not give my name, address, telephone number, school name or parents names to anyone anyone I meet on the computer. Then I want, I want the parent to look at their, their child and say, why do you think that's a good idea? What, what could happen if you do that? And really just have a, just have a conversation. It's a springboard. Uh, talk about situations where they might have seen someone do that. And, you know, what would you do in that situation? So it's really just an opportunity for, for the parents and the, and the children together to just kind of explore um, these, these ideas and these issues. Um, there's another one in here where, uh, where it's, uh, it says, uh, you know, number two. It says, I must tell my mom and dad all of my social networks' usernames and passwords. They have access to all of my files or apps, anything on my device at any time. So I want—that's that, where the, the parents are establishing that they own this device. That there's really no expectation of privacy. That there's—we there, we don't live in a family with secret lives. Um, and I love you too much not to be engaged and know what's going on. And if you ask. A child why should your mom and i have that kind of access if they're telling the truth they're going to say because you know more than i do and you're going to keep me safe so th- this is a really important tool uh to help not only just create expectations uh which uh, and consequences because obviously kids need some boundaries and, and and some guardrails but they also need to know that um they can come and talk to mom and dad about this um the the uh, w- one of the other points here is uh if, if I make a mistake or I see something inappropriate, I will tell my parents as soon as possible. Um, and, and, and in that point, I tell my, my child, look, you're, you're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. But if you come to me and your mom as soon as you possibly can, I'm, I'm going to put aside the discipline and I'm going to focus on helping you through this issue. And uh, that doesn't mean we're going to cover it up, but if it's something that we can handle as a family, if you, if you posted something inappropriate on, on a website or, or Instagram, for instance, let's, let's go delete that. If you send someone a mean, rude, or threatening message, another student at the school, let's call that family and apologize. If we can handle it at our level so it doesn't go to the school administrator, I think that's the best way to, to deal with these things. And that's how I want to empower parents. I want them to t- kind of take ownership of what's going on in their child's digital world and uh, and help guide them. Because um, our culture is giving our children a lot of really dangerous, uh, unhealthy messages. And it's all happening in social media. And And, and really, there's not a lot of parents there. To counter um, these messages that they're getting.
1: So it, the, the contract is so important in, in terms of setting expectations, and as you said, it really initiates the conversation with our kids, which I think is the most important thing, that we're educating them about the risks, making sure they know we care, letting them know the lines of communication are open. They can come to us and should come to us to tell us anything. And then secondly, we're, you're empowering parents with this contract. To let them know they really can uh, be responsible for keeping their children safe in this regard. Uh, I so appreciate that information that you're sharing, again, uh, in your book, Parenting in a Digital World. We just have a minute or two left, Clay, and I just wanted to talk briefly about cyber identity theft and hacking and phishing scams. If you could give us how we can keep ourselves safe from, from phishing scams and hacking. We have the Equifax crisis recently let's end on that note with with about a minute or two left
3: sure yeah uh, the the number one way that people have their identity um access or, or uh, stolen is through uh then errantly opening um uh, app, uh, attachments in an email or perhaps they get an email that says uh you know your your, your password on your um your bank account has has expired and so you need to click on this link to um, update your password. So it, lo- it looks like a legitimate website or rather uh, email. They click through it, they go to a website that may look similar or identical to their, to their bank and they put in their password. And unfortunately,
1: Clay, you hear the music. Oh. We're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to have you back oh, okay. another time. I'll post some information for my listeners about avoiding uh, identity theft online. Um, My guest has been Clay Cranford. Thanks so much, Clay.
3: Thank you, Dr. Peggy.
1: And you can go to cybersafetycop.com or drpegradio.com to connect with Clay Cranford. Um, I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark reminding you to live well.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.